that. So, all right, praise God. Well, welcome uh, those of you who are watching online to uh, discipleship class number eight. And I apologize for the hard start without any kind of countdown or warning or title slide. We have uh, live stream with this configuration uh, now for years. And the best we can tell, it's a software update that has changed the functionality. I've put in service tickets and uh, the company Vimeo and Livestream Studio are trying to figure out what the issue is. But I also know from online searches that I'm not the only person having this issue. So I apologize again for those of you watching online. Uh, my inability to swap over and put the verses and points and, and things like that on screen overlay. But hopefully we'll have that resolved uh, before uh, next week. So, But again, this is class number eight. Class number eight. And um, we are going to talk tonight, subtitles, class eight, a nation of priests, a nation of priests, and then semicolon, generation Christ, a nation of priests, Generation Christ. And they're all my favorites, but these are some of my favorite things to explain to people. I think it's really going to be a blessing and benefit to you. So praise God. Let's pray and we'll get right to it. Father, thank you tonight for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness and mercy. Father, thank you for always being so patient with us. Thank you, Father, for always believing the best about us. Thank you for never giving up on us. Father, thank you that you had a plan before we were ever formed in our mother's wombs, Father, and your plan for our lives together with you goes far beyond our uh, years on this earth as we are right now. And so, Father, we thank you that we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves, something that you planned and purposed, Lord, to be both a blessing to ourselves and, and to you. And so, Father, I thank you for the commitment that's represented by those, uh, Lord, uh, during these classes this year, Father. Lord, this is certainly not by any stretch of the imagination the only thing you were doing at 5 o'clock on a Wednesday Central Standard Time. But, Father, I, I, I thank you for those who have committed themselves to this process. And, Lord, for how we're learning and growing up into Jesus and the things that you would have us learn and grow up into. To him in. Thank you for your Holy Spirit tonight, Father. He's the Spirit of truth. He's leading us and guiding us into all truth. He's helping us to connect with your word in a meaningful, life-changing, mind-renewing way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. All right, so let's begin tonight where we left off last week. And I'm going to try to do my best to just dive right in. But I do want to uh, go back to this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. It says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And by the way, those unsearchable riches of Christ are your birthright. They're your heritage. They're, they're your inheritance in Christ. And so the unsearchable riches of Christ are referring to something that, that belongs to you because you have been made one with Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Now, we know that when he says all things created through Jesus Christ, I don't want to go too deep on you too fast, but remember how Jesus was introduced to us in uh, John's gospel. He was introduced to us as the eternal word of God, the word of God who was then made flesh and dwelt among us. And so when... Father God and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit created this, this world and this universe. We see that they were all working uh, together as one. The Holy Spirit hovered, Father God speaking. Jesus was the Word, if you will. I know that's a, 
a kind of a difficult concept to grasp uh, that was being spoken. And of course, we see it confirmed in, in John's gospel, the opening of John's gospel, that nothing that was ever created was created without Jesus. And that's significant because a lot of people think of Jesus as only coming into existence at Christmas time. And, and that is absolutely not the case. He is the eternal, uncreated Son of God, just like God the Father is the eternal, uh, uncreated uh, God the Father, just like the Holy Spirit is the eternal, uncreated Holy Spirit of God. All right? And so he's talking about the fellowship of the mystery. And when something is a mystery, it, it's referring to something, well, you can use the word to, to cover a lot of different bases, all right? Mystery, number one, is something that has not been previously revealed or previously understood or previously made available for us to know and embrace. And there were certain things that, that Father God uh, kept secret uh, until Jesus came, and for that matter, until after His death, burial, and resurrection, because the Bible says if Satan had known what God was up to, he would have never laid a hand on Jesus. But in his blind rage and hate and arrogance and, and, and selfishness, uh, he fell right into God's plan when he uh, had Jesus uh, executed, manipulated people to execute Jesus. Right? So, but also mystery is referring to something that can only be understood by, by divine assistance. In other words, it's something that the human mind, the human intellect, the, the, the brain alone, uh, or the human mind alone uh, cannot understand, grasp, or comprehend apart from God helping you see it and understand it, receive it, and embrace it. So to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent. So any, I think we mentioned this last week. Um, what are God's intentions uh, I, I don't know if you've, this is a little bit old school here, but, you know, back in the day, uh, if a young man started hanging around with, uh, with someone's daughter, uh, there was a good chance that at some point early in that dating relationship that the girl's father would ask the young man who was trying to court her, what are your intentions? What are your intentions? What are you up to, right? Are, 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 you, are you just looking for a friend? Are you looking for a wife? Are you serious about my daughter? You break her heart, I'll kill you. you know, this kind of whole thing, right? Okay, so think of that again. He's talking about to the intent. There's, he's, he's revealing to us what God's intentions uh, are and were and are and continue to be and will be uh, in, in all of this. To the intent that now, now, now meaning now, like right now for me and you, but now also uh, meaning after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. In other words, what has now been made possible that was uh, you know, previously uh, out of reach uh, for us. Okay? Uh, Paul talks about this in his letter to the Philippians. He, he says that, that um, I will now strive to lay hold of that, to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I will strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has now laid hold of me. And I like to illustrate that by uh, this little story. When my son was, was younger, he would want to get out there with the big boys and shoot the basketball. But, you know, it was a, a full height goal, and he couldn't throw the ball that high. It was out of reach for him. But if I picked him up and held him up, now what was previously out of reach was within reach. 
Okay, so what he's saying is that when Jesus laid hold of you, and what a laying hold that was, right? When Jesus laid hold of us, things that were previously out of reach for us are now within reach. Things that were previously off limits for us, now our birthright, now our heritage, now uh, not only given to us, but reside in our born-again spirits. That's enough right there to get you excited, right? Amen. So, so again, he's saying to the intent that now the manifold, so now... Meaning before it was out of the question, but now it's not only possible, it's, it's our purpose, it's our destiny. That the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Principalities and powers in the heavenly places are referring to the dem demonic spirits that are trying to rule the earth by ruling the lower atmosphere or the first heaven surrounding the earth. And he's saying that... I want you, and this is the part that I really wanted to reemphasize tonight as we move forward, is it, it wasn't enough for Jesus to do it. Um, in other words, Jesus proved the wisdom of God. Amen? Jesus proved what the wisdom of God could produce by way of results in people's lives. He proved the power of God. He proved uh, that, that the God who created a human body could now heal and fix and restore a human body. He, he proved that uh, there was nothing impossible to those who believe. And so, so Jesus was a living, breathing example of the wisdom of God everywhere he went. And it was proven in the life of Jesus. But that wasn't Father's only intentions. His intentions were for the wisdom of God to be made known by the church. The church is you and me. The church, by Greek definition, is the ecclesia. And the ecclesia means the called out ones. We've been called out from the world. We've been called out from, from darkness. We've been called out from uh, spiritual death into the kingdom of God's Son, in, into the light and life and wisdom and power and abundance and blessing that now is uh, our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying that it's, it's now God's intentions. Remember, let's, let's rewind a couple of classes. Come on in, guys. We, we tried to hold off. They said there were some traffic issues and, and all that stuff. Yeah, and so obviously we had people waiting online, and I didn't want them dropping out, you know, thinking, oh, well, something's happened, technical issues. So we just, we just started uh, a few minutes ago. So amen. And thank you for being here. And I know it's been a long day for you guys. And, and, uh, and heaven uh, is recording your presence here uh, according to uh, the book of Malachi and all of our presence here. Uh, amen. All right. Now, praise God. I was saying something really important. Um, now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, they'll either come to me or it won't be that important for us to say right now. Go back a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Remember when the 70 returned and Jesus was like, okay, guys, just put your stuff down over there and go get some rest. Is that what, is that what Jesus did? No. Jesus is like cutting a rug. I mean, Jesus is rejoicing. Not because Jesus himself cast out demons and laid hands on sick people and they were healed uh, and preached the gospel of the kingdom and people received it. But what really excited him was that the church, right, other people are, are understanding the position. They're fulfilling the intentions that God has always had uh, for uh, them and for you and me. So according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So 
this wasn't like plan B or C or D. This was plan A. It was an eternal purpose. It was something that God purposed in his own heart. Uh, Paul also says this in Ephesians. I like this. It says, according to the counsel of his own will. What does that mean? It means God decided this. God decided to do for you what he's done for you. God decided to give to you what he's given to you. God decided to place you where he has placed you. God decided to elevate you to the position that he's elevated you to. This was not something we negotiated. This was not something that God consulted with other uh, outside entities, if you will. Uh, this was something that he determined within his own heart. And what we're going to see here in a few minutes is that if Father God ever purposes in his heart to do something, it doesn't matter how long it takes or how much it costs, he's going to see it through to the, to, to the finish, to the completion. Amen. And so according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we are a part of something bigger than ourselves and, and even folks who don't know God or don't care anything about God or, or, or don't even believe there is a God, that, that one thing is hardwired into us. The concept of, of being a part of a team that, that's greater than the sum of its parts, uh, being a part of something that, that um, we can't do by ourselves, but if we work together with other people, we can do great things. And, and this whole idea of being a part of something bigger than ourselves, it's hardwired into us because, again, this is what God created and destined us for. Um, I ask this question early and often. I don't know if I've asked it in here lately, but I'm a, I will ask it uh, tonight. Are you expecting more than you can produce on your own? Are you expecting more than you can produce on your own? See, these are the, these are the things that Father God wants to be a part of, of, of your heart and mind and, and the way you think and the way you look at things, where we're pushing back that paper prison of a comfort zone and realizing, okay, with, with man this may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so these verses are a part of a bigger section or a bigger segment of teaching that we've focused in on now for the last few classes uh, together. And, and it has to do with ministry. It has to do with individual members of the body of Christ, every born again man or woman being called by God to do the work of the ministry. And we see that these verses provide tremendous um, basis and foundation for God's intentions for you and, and for the ministry that He has set us aside to accomplish. Amen. It's an eternal purpose. I like to say it this way, and I got this saying from one of my favorite Bible teachers, Keith Moore, God has more than a hundred year plan for your life. We tend to look at a very small segment of our existence because of our physical reality and because of our, our physical brain. And we tend to think of everything having a beginning and everything having an ending. And, and it's hard for us with our, it's impossible for that matter, with our mental faculties, our, 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 our brain alone, to comprehend eternity. But, you know, we're just getting started. I mean, if a day's as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day under the Lord, um, then we, we haven't even, in God's timetable, we haven't even lived but a few minutes yet, okay? Um, and, and so His plans and purposes. Now, I, I, I say that not that we should blow off this life because so much of, of what we do and what we learn and, and what we uh, allow the Lord to do in and with and through us uh, is going to determine uh, a lot of what we experience and receive in the life that is next. But God's plans for you go far beyond this created realm as we know it right now. All right. 
I just want to run through a list, and I, I used to take, you know, I'm probably almost half a class or, or better to go through all of these. I'm going to give you an overview of some things that we see in Scripture as it relates to you and me and ministry, you and me and ministry. And so, first of all, we see that we've been created for ministry. The Bible teaches that you were created, right? We are His workmanship. We've looked at some verses that already refer to this. We, we, were, we were created for doing. You go all the way back to the, the, the opening remarks when, when God breathed breath of life into the nostrils of Adam and He gave him these five royal mandates uh, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill up the earth, to, to have dominion, to uh, subdue it, right? He's given him the, these uh, assignments, if you will. And so our... At, at the root of our creation is ministry. We then see that our salvation was to position us for ministry. So we were saved, uh, received salvation, uh, again, for ministry. We, we are not equipped to minister on the level that God created us to minister upon apart from our salvation. That doesn't mean someone who has, isn't born again can't do something to help somebody else. Obviously they can, but we're talking about a level of ministry effectiveness that cannot be obtained or achieved without the new birth. We also see in Scripture in multiple places that we've been called to ministry. We've been called to ministry. And sometimes we, you know, we talk about someone's calling in life, someone's calling in life. Uh, I, I've had people who've, you know, eaten my barbecue before and they said, Pastor, we think you missed your calling. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I'm glad you're enjoying the barbecue, right? Okay. So, you know, when we talk about call to ministry, this, this is not, how do I say it? Let, let's say that you are gifted in administration and administration is a gift that God gives to people. And, and you may uh, serve your gift to the world um, you know, in administration, in, in some business or, or what have you. But it, it's for too long we've looked at um, our vocation and ministry as an either or instead of both and. Are you following what I'm saying? It's not either or, it's both and. The, the Bible talks about all labor if it's done as unto the Lord, is glorifying unto Him and, and is a blessing uh, to Him. Uh, whether that's you know, manual physical labor, all, all, all kinds of labor. It's about the heart right? that's behind it. But then we also see that, that when we do whatever it is that we're gifted and equipped to do, okay, uh, then we also see how ministry and whatever vocation that may be uh, go together as opposed to viewing those things as, as being separate. Now, we also see, so right along with that, is that we've been gifted for ministry. We've been gifted for ministry. And the Bible is very clear that there are gifts that Father God gives, there are gifts that Jesus gives, and there are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And all of these gifts are to, first of all, be a blessing uh, to you. Um, you should understand what your gifting is, and then that gifting will be a clue to what I call your wealthy place. And your wealthy place has much more to do uh, you know, with, with your life than just simply money. Um, your wealthy place is you know, doing what you love with people that you love to do it with, where you're supposed to be doing all, all of these things, okay? 
um, but your your unique gifting. There's a reason why you're good at some things and 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 not necessarily that good at others. There are reasons why certain things interest you while other things do not. Uh, that's that's not you know the the random toss of some genetic dice. It is uh, purpose uh, from God, and so you've been gifted for ministry. And it, it's very important that we look at whatever our giftings are. Um, you know, we see uh, world-class athletes who use their athletic ability as a platform, right, to minister. And, and that's done in, in different ways. One, with the financial uh, compensation that they receive from that. You look at what Tim Tebow has done. Um, and certainly he was a, you know, Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, we all know if you follow football, making that next step to an elite professional level quarterback is a difficult thing. He did fairly well at that. Um, but his part and purpose, how about this one? Uh, Big Oak Ranch, John Croyle, anybody ever heard of him? Okay. Now, I'm not just saying this because I happen to uh, cheer for uh, the Crimson and White, but you, know, you ask anybody who knows, that, that man could have um, went to the NFL and probably be in the Hall of Fame today. But he told Coach Bryant, he said, my heart's not in that. My heart's in ministry. And so he, he used the platform and his athletic ability and the attention that, that that brought to him, his giftedness, right, to, to translate that in, into ministry. Uh, I, I hope that among other things that you're hearing as I go through this list is that we don't look at ministry as a sideline, as something we'll do when we retire one day, as a hobby, or you know, but but it being a central focus of whatever we do, wherever we do it, um, that we're looking for uh, that one person uh, that we can, or more, but that at least that one person that we can minister to in some significant way. We also see in Scripture that we've been authorized for ministry. Praise God, authorized for ministry, and that's important. You know. Um, <laughs> when we say authorized to do something, um, you know, if you've ever had a job where you veered off into somebody else's lane and was doing things you weren't authorized to do, well, you've been authorized by God. We also see that a large part of discipleship is being prepared for ministry. Okay. Now, here's a, here's a strong one, all right? We've been commanded to minister. We've been commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then here, here is the last one, and we could probably keep going this list. But the, the final one, I think, is also very important for us to understand, is that we will one day be rewarded according to ministry. We will be rewarded according to ministry. And Jesus taught us parables on this. He, he wanted to make sure we understood this. And so we actually see different parables that are basically making the same point. And if I, could, if I could summarize those parables, we see that we will be judged and rewarded one day based upon what we did with what we were given. Based upon what we did, what you did, what, I, what I've done and am doing with what I was given. We weren't all given the same things. We, we don't all have the same interests. We don't all have the same calling. We don't all have the same uh, giftedness. Okay? We do all, in, in, in a lot of ways, have... A, a universal assignment, okay? But then even as it, as it you know, involves the, the functioning of God's kingdom, uh, he uses the, the uh, example of a body, and we see that different members, one body, so, so also is Christ, and those different members in that one body have different functions. And so it wouldn't be right, you know, for uh, the pinky to be held to the same standard as the thumb, 
Amen. Are you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I'm thankful for my pinky, but man, that thumb, especially on the right hand, you know what I'm saying? Come on with it. You, are you following what I'm saying? So in the same way, but God is a just God. And so it's not what you did compared to somebody else and what somebody else did, but what did you do with what you were given? Amen. And we see that we will be rewarded accordingly. Now, I know maybe not this group because you, you, you guys and gals are a bunch of fanatics here on a Wednesday, rainy Wednesday afternoon. So hats off to you, okay? But I've, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and, and it seems like some folks' attitude are like, oh, I don't care about that, Pastor Mark, just as long as I make it to heaven. But see, you say that now. You say that now. And, and, and some of the clues that Jesus gave us is like some of the rewards are cities. <laughs> cities. Yeah, God's a big God, right? And, and um, so, but I want to make sure you understand this because the Bible says that Jesus is coming. I, uh, and I guess in a moment of emotion, in a moment of sadness, in a moment of indignation. Um, I don't know what you've heard about what's going on and what's happening in, in Israel and, and in that region right now. Um, and I, I'm not... You know, I'm certainly not wanting children and, and things to see these photographs, but I, for one, I, for one, want the media to show because this world needs to see what was done uh, in the wee hours uh, here or there, or, you know, Saturday, I guess it was. Um, okay, so, and, but, you know, when then you hear about Israel being surrounded on all sides, by different now Hezbollah and, and different ones. You know, it, it kind of in that moment, you know, my wife, I got home late last night or early evening, wasn't quite late night, but anyway, I got home later than normal and she's kind of already kind of bringing me up to speed. And just again, that, that emotion, that frustration, that anger, I looked at her, I said, baby, is this it? I mean, is this, because you know, the Bible says there's coming a day when the nations are going to surround Israel and then, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's fixing to get bloody. It's fixing to get really, really, uh, you know. Um, but Jesus is coming. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. Now, this is what you've got to understand. Though. Listen to me, please. Your righteousness is not based upon your works. Your right standing is not based upon what you do. It's based upon what was done for you and the gift that was given to you. We will spend at least a full class on the subject of righteousness and, and the new birth and what all that looks like, and I'll show it to you in Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, okay? So again, your right standing with God, your righteousness, is not <clears throat> determined by your performance, by your works, but your rewards are. Your rewards are. You will be rewarded one day based upon what you did with what you were given. Amen. And I would, be, uh, I would not be doing my job if I didn't inform you of that. Now, I, I used to have in this teaching, I used to have a lot of statistics. I was young, and that was before I really understood how easily statistics could be manipulated. But I have left this one in. And I've left this one in, number one, because I, I believe that it was Barna who, who did it, and I, I, I trust theirs to some extent, more than others, I guess. But I also left this one in because I think I'm qualified to comment on this. I've, I've been in church since nine months before I was born. And, um, and my experience, even this many years later, is, is pretty much is, bears out the, 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 the reality of this, okay? And so um, the surveys reveal this, right? Surveys reveal that um, only 10% 
of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry? Only 10% of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. Are y'all getting warm? A little bit. Amen. Um, can somebody, the, the thermostat, if you go out this door, it's, it's on that wall right, thank you brother, it's on that wall right behind Sweet Little Pumpkin, and just drop, what's happening, it's satisfying out in the hallway because it's cooler out there than it is in here. Drop it down a few degrees for me, brother, thank you so much. Okay, all right, I'll leave the slide up for you so you can see it when you get back, all right. So only 10% of church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. And if you just randomly ask pastors, they, they'll tell you that, that basically 10% of the people who come to church do, you know, 100% of the work, all right? So only 10% of American church members are active in any kind of personal ministry. So if you're doing the math at home, that leaves us 90%. So of the 90 remaining percent, 50% say they have no interest in serving in ministry. Not interested, don't ask. Don't ask me to do stuff, okay? Because I'm not interested in it. So 10% are active in personal ministry any, of any kind, okay, of any kind, all right? 50% say they have no interest in serving in ministry, but then we've got that remaining 40%. 40% express an interest in serving in ministry, but say they have never been asked to or do not know how, okay? So obviously what we're doing now uh, in discipleship is about not just asking people to serve, but teaching them how, showing them um, how uh, to serve uh, their Heavenly Father, our King, our Master, amen, in His kingdom. Here's a passage that you may be familiar with. I, I say home interiors, if y'all are familiar with that uh, <laughs> kind of decor in a house, right? Y'all you didn't get the rest of it? Thank you, sister. No, you're fine. So surveys reveal. Um, let me go one more. Normally I can monitor. If y'all are watching on, you know, it's like, why does he keep turning around? Well, there's a screen behind me that you guys can't see that the people in the room can. But my monitor, which is right over there, amen, is not working. If it was working, you could see what they're seeing. So anyway, praise God. Um, so 10% active, 50%, no interest, 40% are interested, but say they've never been asked or do not know how to, okay? And, and can, I just, can I just be honest with you, just, just point blank honest with you? I, I, I've noticed over the years that people are reluctant to be involved in ministry because if you sign up to be a part, then you got to come to church. <laughs> and we're right about it, you know? And so, you know, we, we like to keep our options open in, in the 21st century. We... You know, I mean, if we get all committed, then, you know, we, we can't do what we want to do sometimes on Sunday mornings or blah, 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 you know. So, amen. All right. God is good, though. Amen? Amen. amen. And, and so, the, you know, so it's, it's, it's important, though. So here's the verse. Home interiors. I thought y'all were raising your hand because y'all knew home interiors, right? Uh, <laughs> Sister Julie, I bet some home interior brick-brack comes through the thrift store, okay? Yeah. So, um I say home interiors has made a lot of money off this verse right here. It's Joshua 24 and 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, come on now, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Amen. My wife and I, we made a decision. We were going to serve the Lord. We made that decision before we ever got married. We started serving the Lord before we ever got married. We started teaching uh, Sunday school class and volunteering with the youth. And we, but we also decided that one day when we had children, we were going to serve the Lord. Now, when we got married, we realized what happened to so many of the young adults in our church that we were attending at the time. Uh, once they got married, because now all of a sudden they get married, get their own place, and mom and daddy aren't encouraging them, let's just say it that way. We didn't have an option at my house. Right? You, you, you under our roof, you're going to church, amen? I'm thankful for that, don't misunderstand me. Um, but we realized then, well, you know what, there's nobody making us, and, and so we had to make that adjustment and that transition uh, for ourselves, but we were determined to do it. But, but now watch this, because this, I think, is, is an eye-opener for a lot of people, maybe not for you, but attending church is not the same as serving God. And, I, and I'm concerned that that's, that's how far the standard of serving God has fallen in our world today, is that we, we now view going to church as serving God. See, attending church is where we're supposed to go to become equipped to more effectively serve God ourselves. Amen? So attending church is where you are served. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're involved in actively serving the people who come. But attending church is not the same as serving God. Is church attendance important? Yes. But it's this whole idea of our moving you know, beyond just being fed and being served to, to, to feeding and serving other people. And I say feed, that could be literal food, but also uh, spiritual, figuratively, uh, ministering to other people, meeting, helping meet other people's needs. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I feel compelled to mention it here. We'll maybe look at it in a little greater detail uh, as we move forward uh, this evening. But you will only grow so far in the things of God being served. At some point, if you're going to continue to mature and develop in the things of God, you're going to have to transition from being served to being a server or being a servant. Okay. In the same way that, that natural growth and development and maturity, you take a young man, you know, raised up in a household with a, you know, hardworking father and a doting mother who, who basically give him everything that he wants and she does everything for him. She washes his clothes, she cooks his food, she picks up the dishes out of his bedroom, blah, 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 all this other stuff, right? Okay, well, see, what happens if that young man never transitions into actually doing something for himself, but then also learning to do for other people. So he can only grow and develop so far until he makes that transition. Amen. Are you seeing this? Okay. So this is one of the reasons why we have perpetual immaturity in the body of Christ is because everybody has a, I'm coming to church, that's my, uh, me serving God, and, um, and so now you know, tell me what I need to hear, tell me what I want to hear, or whatever, you know, and uh, make it interesting, and the music better be good to my liking, and, um, you know, or else there's a whole lot of other options in this city, Pastor Mark, that we'll go find somebody who will tell us what we want to hear that has better music, or blah, blah, blah. You know? And so, but again, and, and we call this serving God. And again, there's going to be a lot of folks. You know, everybody says no tears in heaven. The Bible doesn't say no tears in heaven. The Bible says there will be tears in heaven, and that Father will dry those tears. And I think a lot of the tears that are going to be in heaven one day are going to be people who realize once they get there that um, they wasted this season of their existence 
by doing what they wanted to do uh, rather than seeking first the kingdom of God and serving Him. Okay? Now, I want to I dig deep tonight to show you, again, we're talking about this intent in Father's heart that, that He has to prove His wisdom, not just with Jesus on this earth as a man, but to ultimately prove His wisdom now uh, based upon what we've received uh, to uh, the, the, the devils and demons and principalities and powers in the lower atmosphere. And so I call this section a nation of priests. A nation of priests. And then we're going to talk about a nation of priests, and then we're going to talk about generation Christ, uh, and then we're going to see how, uh, in both of these from the Old Testament, but then we're going to see how now, like we saw in Ephesians, now uh, these things are made available for and fulfilled in uh, you and me. All right? Everybody good? Okay. Now, let's go to Exodus 19, verse 3. Exodus 19 and 3. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. All right, I want to turn around and see here. Okay, good. I like it when they just all advance at once when I don't have my monitor here. To see how many times I've pushed the button. Praise God. All right, you get anything out of this so far? All right. Man, I, I'm just believing the Lord's going to really, really help you. Uh, I know it really helped me when I saw this, okay? Um, years ago for myself, the Holy Spirit showing it to me. All right. So Exodus chapter 19, verse 3, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. So for those of you who may not understand that language, he's talking about all the people, God's people, descendants of Abraham that have been brought out of slavery in Egypt. He said, I've got a message for you to deliver to them for me, Moses. And verse 4, he says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Wow. Now, therefore, so anytime you see a therefore in the Scriptures, it's, it's connecting you to, to something else that's been said, some other point or points uh, that have been made. And so he's saying, look, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. You saw what I've done for you. You saw, you, you've witnessed how I have, uh, you know, remember they didn't come out of Egypt empty-handed. They, they came out of Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. They, they came out of Egypt. The Bible says there was not a sick or feeble one among them. All right? This, this was after Years and years and years of slave labor on, you know, little to nothing to eat uh, in horrible working conditions in the desert. Are you following me? Okay. And yet when God brought them out, he brought them out healthy. He brought them out whole and he brought them out rich. Amen. And so God is saying, come on now. That's his plan for you and me as well. So he says, he says to them, um, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Okay. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Okay? So God gives this message, urgent message, important message, transitional, significant shift message 
to Moses for Moses to go and deliver to the people. Now, we could spend a great deal of time here. I'm not really interested in doing that because there's a bigger picture that I'm trying to paint and I, I want the Holy Spirit to show you. But if you understand what was happening here, when, when God was speaking and speaking directly to uh, the people, they told Moses, this was their attitude. They said, Moses, look, we don't like it when God speaks directly to us. Um, you go talk to him for us. And then if there's anything that we need to know, you pass it along. See, God's heart, God's intent, God's desire was not just to speak to Moses. He wanted to speak to all of them. Amen. But they weren't interested in that. They just said, oh, look, God, you know, look, Moses, you tell God to talk to you and then you be the go-between. Okay. And so we see then that Moses brings them this word. He brings them this message, which is the intent of God. It's the heart of God. It's the plan of God. It, it, it was what God had in mind. Amen. Do I need to remind you that he has forgiven you of your willful sin against him for his namesake? Amen. He didn't just do it for you. He did it for him. He did it for himself. Amen. We have this tendency to only look at things, everything, including the things of God, through a lens of what does this mean for me? What does this do for me? How does this help me? What benefit is this for me? What's in this uh, for, for my future, for my family, without ever considering it uh, from God's perspective and what it means to him and what his plans and purposes are for this situation. And so they, didn't, they weren't interested in these things. And so, but notice now, he, he, he gives this message to Moses. Moses gives it to the people. What is the message? The message is that God has separated that group of people, the, the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, the biological descendants of Abraham. He has separated them unto himself, right, for a purpose, and that purpose is for them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation, because what did God say? He said, all the world is mine. Everybody is, are my children. Every person on planet earth are my children. Now, if you understand the office of a priest, a priest was like a mediator, a go-between. A priest is someone who went before God on behalf of other people. A priest was someone who served God by serving other people, and to make it simple, who helped other people connect with God in a meaningful way. That's the role of a priest. Now, let's take a time out, quick little side journey. We see in the Old Testament that there were three distinct offices that God ordained, and with each of those offices, um, the, the men and even at times women who occupied those offices were given an anointing. Perhaps you've heard that expression, an anointing of God's spirit, uh, a measure of God's spirit, if you will, would come upon them. That's different than the Holy Spirit being in us, but the Holy Spirit would come upon them and the Holy Spirit of God would empower those men and women to function in those specific offices. Okay, And so those offices were the office of a king, the office of a priest, and the office of a prophet. So kings, priests, and prophets. One more time, kings, priests, and prophets. So for instance, we see that when the oil was poured on David's head as a little boy, that outward uh, oil was symb symbolic of the oil of God's Spirit who was now upon David, empowering him to function in that office of a king. Now a king, we're going to see as we 
work our way through these classes, the importance and power, first of all, of God's words, the importance and power of God's words, but then we're also going to see alongside that the importance and power of your words and my words. And the thing about the anointing upon a king is that a king is anointed to decree a thing, to, to, to proclaim, to, to declare. And the word of God says, decree a thing and I'll establish it for you. All right, now, as it relates to speaking, though, watch this now, as it relates to speaking, the role of a prophet, the role of a prophet was to speak to people on God's behalf. So God would give the message to the prophet, and the prophet would then go speak that message to God's people. So a prophet would speak on God's behalf to the people. The priest reversed that order. The priest would speak to God on behalf of the people. The priest would speak to God on behalf of the people. And so God is saying that his plans for the entire nation of Israel is for them to become a nation of priests, a nation of priests that would then become priests for all the other nations, for all the other people groups on planet earth. A nation of priests who would help other non-Jewish people connect with God in a, in a meaningful, life-changing way. Are you seeing this? Okay. Now, since we've gone down this road, let's go just a little bit further because we see two in the, in the scriptures that were anointed to serve in all three offices. And, and the first was, was, we've already mentioned, King David. We see that we think of him as king, but David functioned as both king, as priest, and as prophet. And if you remember when, when Saul, King Saul, in the Old Testament, now not Saul became Paul in the New Testament, King Saul in the Old Testament, remember when he tried to step in and do the office of the priest and he got, he got in trouble for it, but, but not, not David. David operated as king, he operated as priest, and then we also see that he operated as, as prophet. Some of the most profound things that we have prophesied about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus came through uh, prophet David, King David, priest David. Okay. Now I said there were two. The second one, anybody want to guess? It was Jesus. Jesus served as, and by the way, is the fulfillment of all of those offices. He's king, priest, and prophet. Amen. Amen. Now, when Moses brings this great plan of God to the people, to serve as priests for the other people groups, other nations on uh, planet Earth, uh, the people uh, say no. They say no thank you. We, we are not interested in that. And so what did God do? We know that there were 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, if you've ever heard that expression, the 12 tribes of Israel. We know that eventually what God had to do at this point is he had to step back from this plan, amen, not give up on it, but step back from it for a moment. And instead of the entire nation of Israel serving as priest for the other nations of the earth, we see instead that God designated one of the 12 tribes to serve as priests for the remaining 11 tribes of Israel. And of course, they were the descendants of Levi, one of the 12 sons, right? Uh, Levi. And we see that this is where, if you've ever heard the book of Leviticus, okay, if you've ever heard the expression, the Levitical priesthood, which sounds really spiritual and deeply religious, okay, the Levitical priesthood is referring to the priests that descended from Levi, the, the men from the, the, the tribe of Israel descended from uh, Father Levi, amen, and we see that they then became priests for 
the, the, the nation of Israel. But God's plan was and remains to this day to have a nation of priests, a holy nation. And let me remind you um, again, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be what a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. Now, let me, let me just go ahead and let you know, if you don't know, all right, as a born again son or daughter of God, you are a special treasure to God above all people. Amen. You, you are special to him. Amen. Very, very special uh, to him. Now, keep that in mind because that's the nation of priest peace. Okay. Now let's go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And we'll begin at verse number one. Now we're going to cover um, quite a few verses here. And we're going to work our way through them. And the Holy Spirit is going to help us remember what we just heard about a nation of priests. Okay. <laughs> because we're going to take these two things together. And what we're about to see then is this concept in the scriptures that I, that I call or refer to as Generation Christ. Generation Christ. Okay? And so let's begin in Isaiah 53, verse number 1. Amen. All right, praise God. I was hoping those came uh, together. It's easier that way. So the, the, the chapter begins with a question. Who has believed our report? And then it's followed up by another question. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he's not asking two unrelated questions here. He's actually answering his first question with the second question. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord has been revealed to those who believe the report of the Lord. In other words, you've got to believe what he says if you want to see his power at work in your life. Amen. Father does nothing apart from faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. So who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord. And the arm of the Lord, by the way, is speaking of the might of God. It's, think, of it, think of him rolling up his sleeves to, to get busy on your behalf, so to speak. All right. So who... Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? Remember how this ties in with things that we've looked at over the last two classes. According to your longing to understand. According to your desire to know. To him who has, even more will be given. But to him who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. So are you seeing here that we got to believe what God said? See, if you're waiting for the arm of the Lord to be revealed before you decide whether or not you're going to believe what God said. You're going to be waiting a long time. Are you hearing me? You're going to be waiting a long time. So think about this as well. Who has believed our report? There are all kinds of reports in the world today. There's weather reports. There's uh, financial reports. There's, there's uh, doctor's reports. There, all, all these different things that the world has to say that may very well be fact-based Amen. But we're not looking for fact-based reports because facts are subject to change. We're looking for the truth, the truth-based reports. Amen. And so he's, he's about to give us some truth, amen, that is a report for you and me to believe. And how much more should we believe on this side of all of this being fulfilled in Christ Jesus? Amen. How much more should we believe with the ability to look backwards and see it all coming to pass, right? When this was originally given, it was given to people who were all looking forward 
believing that something was going to be done, something was going to be to happen, a son was going to be given that had not yet actually manifest, speaking of Jesus, here upon the earth. Amen? All right, now, verse number two. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised, and this is all speaking prophetically, many generations before Jesus ever arrived on planet earth. It's speaking prophetically of him and who he will be and what he will do and, and Father's plans for his arrival. He is despised and rejected by men. That word despised probably does not mean what you think it means. We hear despised and, and we think disgusted, we think violent hatred, and certainly there was a lot of violent hatred towards Jesus. But this word for despised means to treat lightly. This word despised here means to, to not give the proper value or the proper esteem or, or the proper place to something or someone in your life. Okay, remember what they said when Jesus came to his own hometown. Is this not Mary's son? Is this, is this, th th they were taking a shot at him, by the way. Okay, Normally you would say, is this not, and name the father's son, right? But remember, she got pregnant before her and Joseph were married. Are you following? Say, so when, they, when they're like, they're jabbing him when they say, is this not Mary's son? Okay. And, and are his siblings not here with us? And basically, who does he think he is? They're, that is the definition. That is, a, that is an example of what it means to despise Jesus. It's more, there are people who hated him. Don't misunderstand me. There are people, I mean, in this particular situation I'm referring to, they tried to kill him that day. All right. But at the root of all of that, is a failure to value, a failure to honor, a failure to recognize the, the importance uh, of someone. So he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Okay? Now, this word born in verse number four, he is born, B-O-R-N-E. This is, uh, think of a root word to bear, not born like giving birth to, but born like carrying something, bearing something. And of course, the tie-in there was someone who would bear a child, okay? But he has carried, he has carried our griefs. This is a, a, a I, don't, I don't want to call it a wrong or incorrect translation, but I will say this, it is certainly misleading and it is certainly, uh, it certainly lacks thoroughness, Okay. Because the, the word here, and if you write, I know a lot of you are taking notes right now, but even if you could make a note in your Bible, I think it would help you. Um, this word griefs means sicknesses. He has carried, bore our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. Again, the word sorrows in the original language means our pains, P-A-I-N-S, things that cause us pain. He has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. There's a, there's a rhythm to this. Uh, it's, 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 
well, I don't know if I'm overstepping my calling it poetic here, but obviously um, it's, it's beautifully written. But what we see is what Jesus was doing for us, but our estimation, our, when I say our, people in his day, you know, how they thought of this, how, how they viewed this. And they didn't see him doing something for them Instead, because they despised him, because they did not properly value or esteem him, they believed that the punishment he was receiving was from God, that God esteemed him, we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted by God. Okay, now let's keep going. Verse five, but he was wounded, but he was wounded. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Now, I want to point out to you the verb tense here. By his stripes we are healed. People who received physical healing in the Old Testament before Jesus came, received it, if you will, on credit. They received that healing based upon something Jesus would do in the future, but has not yet come to do for them. I'll try to keep the story brief, but when I was a little kid, elementary school, Friday, went home with one of my buddies to spend the night, and we stopped at the little grocery store there. And after school, buddy's hungry, snacks, whatever. And so the mom's pushing the grocery cart through, and she grabs a bag of chips off the aisle, and she opens them, and they start eating them. And we didn't do stuff like that in my house, okay? Not judging anybody. But I'm thinking they're stealing, and then I'm fixing, I'm fixing, I'm fixing to go to jail with all these people, okay? <laughs> and so I was hungry, you know, but they're like, ask me if I want some chips. Uh-uh, you know, at least maybe I can show the policeman my fingers. I don't have any grease, no crumbs. You know, I didn't touch them. Okay, all right. And so they, you know, we went through the grocery store. I'm following around in panic, looking around, you know, waiting to be descended upon any moment now. And um, we get up to time to pay, and I'm like, okay, this is where it's all fixing to come apart, you know. <laughs> and um, they're taking all the groceries out of the, uh, of the cart, and they laid the empty chip bag on the belt. And it makes its way up and I'm thinking okay here it is you know I'm like bracing and the lady looks at it in those days it wasn't scanners right she she looked at it rang it up she goes you want to keep this and then they put it in the garbage can under her cash register I'm like what just happened right okay but see when Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed your sins be forgiven you when Jesus said to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. He wasn't sweeping their sin under the rug. He was letting people eat chips that he was going to pay for later. Are you seeing this? He, he was allowing them to enjoy something that he was going to pay for on a Roman cross. That's good. So by his stripes we are healed. But anybody remember what it says in 1 Peter 2.24? By his stripes we... Were. So now, see, for you and me, it's not are based upon something that will be done. It's were based upon something that's already been done. Are you seeing this? 
It's life-changing if you, if you get a hold of this. It's life-changing. Stop asking Jesus to do something for you He's already done for you. Stop asking Him to give you things He's already given to you. Thank Him. Recognize. Acknowledge every good thing that's in you. Amen. Amen. Now, this word wounded literally in the, relig in the original language means pierced through. Pierced through. You understand crucifixion hadn't been invented yet. But God by the Holy Spirit is, is revealing to us prophetically what's going to happen one day to Jesus. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised. That word bruised literally means crushed. Crushed. And of course we know that Jesus was, was punched and beaten beyond recognition. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. So what we're seeing, by the way, in in this prophetic description is Jesus paying for our healing for our physical body. He's paying for our forgiveness and redemption for our dead spirit. And now we see that he is also being wounded and bruised and beaten and chastised for our peace. Notice that's your soul, your emotions, your mind, emotions, and will. Salvation is a total package, spirit, soul, body. He left no part of your existence, past, present, or future out of what he has already done for you and given to you. Amen. So he was beaten so we could have peace today. Do you see why Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled? Satan is the one who's trying to bring stress and, and anxiety Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart causes depression. He's trying to get so much stress and anxiety in your life that you become depressed over it. He's trying to dominate your life with negative emotions. Jesus was beaten almost to death, beaten to the point that his organs were exposed so that you could lay down and have peace tonight, no matter what's going on in the world around us or what's going on in your life personally. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Stripes in the original language means blows that cut in. Blows that cut in. And of course, we know that Jesus was beaten with a Roman, I think it was called a cat of nine tails. It had nine leather uh uh, tentacles, if you will, on it, and woven into those uh, tentacles were chips of, of stone and, and glass and bone, sharpened bone. So it wasn't just the, the leather hitting his skin, but they would take and hit, and the, and the, the, the tentacles, the, the different layers of that whip would dig into his body, and then they would pull it off of him and that again is a blow that cuts in a blow that cuts in as I watched this depicted on um, the passion of the Christ when that movie came out some years ago um, I, I was obviously like a lot of people moved emotionally to tears as I watched that and the Holy Spirit said this to me he said and I can't get most of my ministers to even preach healing it's like Jesus did all of that so that our bodies, our physical bodies 
could be healed. Our pains and our sicknesses could be healed. He did all that for us, and now his so-called servants won't even tell people that that's what. Instead, we have all kinds of words, and that's why I'm trying to give you the exact words that were spoken here, that were in the original language here, because people try to make all of this be spiritual, or they try to make all of this be emotional, and, and none of it uh, physical when it absolutely was physical. He goes on to say in verse number six, all we like sheep have gone astray. So all means all. There's no exception to this. There's no exception to this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, every one of us, without exception, we've turned to our own, own way. That was what Adam and Eve did, right? They finally came to a point. They said, look, God, we understand that this is how you wanted us to live, but I think we're going to try it our own way this time. We're going to do what we want to do instead of what you've told us to do. We're going to call our own shots instead of submitting ourselves to you and letting you direct how we live. And he says, as we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus, laid on him, the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. So a couple of things here. Psalm 139 says that before you ever lived a single day of your life, God wrote every one of them down in a book. He wrote a wonderful story for your life. Now, people read that and they go, well, why did he write that part in there about my car wreck? And why did he write that part in there about my divorce? And why did he write that part in there about, you know, 17 years in addiction? And why did God didn't write any of that? That's not that's not in your life story that God wrote. Amen. See, we decided to take the pen from him and write our own story. And we're right about it. That's what he's saying here. We've turned. Everyone to our own way, not God's way, not God's life for us, not what he wants for us, not his intentions for us, our intentions for us, our desires for us. And we decided to, to do that, right? And so what happened? The Lord, Father God, has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Now, I understand what the Bible says, and, and I agree with it. Don't misunderstand me. You know, if you, if you break one commandment, you're guilty of breaking them all. And, you know, sometimes we like to judge other people's sins more severely than any shortcoming or, or, or knows how we even say any weakness on our part. Right. You know, um, <laughs> but something that that somebody else struggles with, we tend to look down upon harsher, more harshly than something that we may uh, struggle with or struggle with in the past. I understand that. But we we do see in Scripture without going into a whole elaborate teaching on all this, though. But we do see in Scripture that there are different grades or categories of sin. And I know some people, well, those not. Just stay with me for a minute, all right? You, you have sin that is committed in ignorance. And the Bible talks about that. And God understands if it's committed in, in ignorance, okay? And this would kind of like fall into a trespass. So if you're out deer hunting and you're on your property and you shoot a deer and you track that deer by mistake onto somebody else's property, it's not like you saw the sign and ripped it off the tree. You literally, genuinely did not know you were on somebody else's property. You're still in the wrong, but it's a different attitude of the heart than going to poach on somebody else's property, right? Going and stealing somebody's cow and taking it to the butcher, okay? That's a completely different thing. So when I'm saying that to say when we talk about a trespass, a transgression, but then when it comes to an iniquity, and iniquity is the severest kind of sin because iniquity is when we absolutely positively know it's wrong, it's offensive to God, it breaks his heart, and we do it anyway. We just <laughs> don't care, God, I'm going to do what I want to do and don't care what it, how it affects you or how it affects me or how it affects anybody else around me. That's an iniquity. 
And notice it says, The Lord has laid on him the willful disobedience, the willful sinful acts of us all. Jesus was one sacrifice for all sin for all time. The Bible says that on multiple different occasions. Okay? So, verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? If you underline things in your Bible, you need to underline that phrase. And, well, I mean, you could probably take spray highlighter on this whole chapter and just, you know, I mean, it's all right. But this phrase is, and, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, I was raised in church, heard a lot of preaching from this. But, you know, this one part right here seems to be the part that is not spoken to or mentioned a lot. But to me, it's providing the bigger picture of, of everything that Jesus has done for us. So he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made a grave. We'll come back to who will declare his generation. Let's keep going for a moment though. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. If you know the story, right? He, he was crucified between two thieves, two wicked men, right? But then he was buried in a very wealthy man's uh, tomb that had been freshly hewn out of the rock and that had never uh, been used uh, before. So grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's like, well, wait a second now. What? Didn't we just say that he wasn't stricken by God? He wasn't stricken by God, but it did please the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Oh, there's a lot. To, we're going to come back to this, okay? Holy Spirit's going to help me, but I want to just keep going here for a moment. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. If you don't know what justify means, the simple way to remember is just as if I'd never sinned. Justified before God, it has a root word. It shares a common root with the English word righteous or, or, or righteousness. Amen. And, and justified means to put someone in a position as if they had never sinned. Father's great desire was to be able to treat you and me like our sin never happened. And Jesus has afforded him that luxury by doing for you and me what he has done for you and me. He has put you and me in a position of right standing before God in the eyes of God, not just as a sinner who has been forgiven. You are more than a sinner who's been forgiven. As far as Father God is concerned, you have never sinned, just as if you had never committed a single sin because the righteousness that you were made, the right Righteousness that you've been given was not the, the righteousness of someone who finally got it right after struggling for many years, but the righteousness that you were given was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we know that Jesus never sinned. 
And because he never sinned and you've been given his righteousness, when Father sees you, he sees you as one who has never sinned. This is why Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. If you read it very carefully, the Bible says, when John says, oh, no, I'm not even worthy to, to, to polish your boots, Jesus. That's not what he said. He tie your, untie your shoes, right? And he says, me baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus, in his loving, gentle way, he says, John, you need to do this, watch this now, so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. What does that mean, so that all righteousness can be fulfilled? Jesus wasn't being baptized by John the Baptist for himself. He was being baptized by John the Baptist for you and me. In the eternal record of Jesus' righteousness on earth as a human being, it is recorded that he was baptized by John the Baptist. Man, we, we, we live in a church day where people don't want to go to the altar because people might think they have a problem, right? <laughs> Jesus never sinned, and yet he wades out in that water to be baptized, a baptism of repentance, by the way. Let me tell you why that is, okay? As far as heaven is concerned, you and I were dunked under the water by John the Baptist because Jesus' standard of righteousness is what's been given to you and me. Of all the sins that have ever been committed on planet earth, among those sins were the sins of thinking John the Baptist was a, was, a, was a nut, right? And people who mocked him and laughed at him and refused to answer his quote-unquote altar call. But we didn't commit that sin. You say, well, I wasn't, around to, I wasn't around to commit it, right? But the Bible talks about the sins of, of humanity accumulating, right? Jesus took care of that one for you. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? It's recorded in heaven that you said yes to John the Baptist and was baptized by him. That's how thorough you get, get stirred up by this. Amen. All right. So <clears throat> he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall again bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Come on now, anybody strong in the room? He'll divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul into death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All right, let's work our way through a few of these verses that I think are, are critically important. All of them are important. But some perhaps that maybe you've, you've never heard or, or understood before, okay? First of all, Isaiah 53 and 8, it says, Jesus was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Okay? Now, the key to understanding this passage is to understand the phrase, who will declare his generation? Who will declare his generation? So let me try to set this up for you, okay? This, this portion is often referred to as the suffering servant. We know that it was Isaiah by the Holy Spirit speaking prophetically of Jesus and what Jesus would come and do for us one day. Amen? All right. Amen? Y'all still with me? All right. Let me, I see y'all a bunch. Y'all still writing notes. She's trying to, we went through that fast, didn't we? Yes, ma'am. Loud and clear. Yes. Some of us are getting baptized in the morning. Yes. I always want to know, like, just your take on baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, obviously it shortens it. 
Yeah, so baptism. The Bible talks about doctrines of baptisms, doctrines of washings. Um, in future classes, we'll look at what it means to be baptized into Christ, having put on Christ. The Bible speaks of the baptism of Moses. The baptism of Moses, that's kind of a far out one. What is that? The Bible talks about those who were baptized in the baptism of Moses were those who followed Moses through um, the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, and although they didn't get wet, right? So what we have to understand about baptism is, first of all, baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. If you've been born again, you were buried with Christ, you died with Christ, you were raised together with Christ to newness of life. And so the outward um, uh, baptizing, you know, taking someone under the water means like you've died with Christ, up out of the water, you've been raised with Christ. In our current uh, world today, you know, we're usually baptized in churches with family members cheering us in warm baptistries, okay? In their day, the water was always the central hub of, of any civilization because they had to have water, okay? And so it, I used to, anybody remember when there was a big fountain at the River Chess Galleria? Okay, so water baptism will be like you going and being baptized in that fountain, right? Which is out in public for everybody to see. But again, it was, an, it was an outward expression of I've been buried with Christ. I've been raised up together with him to newness of life. Um, we get to spirit, soul, and body. We'll talk about this in marriage, okay? But see, when a, when a man and a woman become one before God, God joins their spirits together as one then the physical intimacy in a marriage where the two bodies are joined together, again, that is an, an outward representation of the, of the inward union, okay? So um, to be baptized in water is following a command. It's not a suggestion. It's something that we were commanded to do. It's very, very important uh, to follow Jesus in the waters of baptism, not just that he was baptized by John the Baptist, but that he gave us instructions to be baptized as well. So... When we talk about baptism, though, we've got to realize that we're talking about something more than the ceremony, okay? So, for example, when, when the men and women went through the sea with Moses, think of, think of baptism in general as an experience that forever marks you. See, they would name a child, and they would baptize a child and name a child when they, they it, was, it, was a, it was a ceremony of identification. It was a ceremony of marking. And so when the Bible says they were baptized in the baptism of Moses, obviously you and I can read about that. We can agree and believe and tell other people, and man, yes, I believe God part of that Red Sea. I believe that he did all these things. But it's not the same as actually having walked through that situation on dry ground. Um, uh, with, with Moses. And so that was something that marked them. So that's the idea of, of, of ultimately behind baptism of any kind is that it's, it's, it's an experience that forever alters or marks you or, or changes you. So baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, would be the Holy Spirit inside of you uh, flowing forth out of you and you being immersed in his presence and, and power. If, if that, I don't know, again, we could... We spent a whole class on that. So, Remember, like, how many times you've been no, and I thought that was what you were going to ask, and so I was, you know, I was going to, you know, um, I've I've only said no to one person in all these many years of, of ministry, and I and I said it to this one lady because she had been, um, bless her heart, she she had been baptized. I, I don't want to exaggerate it, but it, anyway, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And in and, and, and her, and her situation, she struggled. She didn't believe that she was saved. 
and she kept thinking if she could get baptized in water enough times that she would be saved. And so, you know, I prayed about it, and I just, I, I tried to help her and counsel her and teach her and all that stuff. And, of course, she got mad because I wouldn't baptize her again and, and didn't, didn't stay around. But maybe she's got it figured out by now. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but if you, if you remember when we first came to Jesus, we made a commitment to him based upon what we knew at that moment, right? Uh, anybody know more today than you knew when you made that first commitment, right? And so we're constantly, as we grow and develop and mature, you know, we're, we're um, lengthening our stake, stakes and, and I'm, I'm sorry, lengthening our cords and deepening our stakes. And so, um, amen. So, praise God. So Isaiah 53, 8, who will declare his generation? Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. So... If I could give you the flavor of this, he's telling us the, all this about the suffering servant, all this about this, this individual who's going to live one day and who's going to endure all of these things, okay? And, and it goes something like this. And to make all of this even worse, all of this is going to happen to him before he's had the opportunity to take a wife and have a son to carry on after him. That's what's being said here when it says, who will declare his generation. You see, in, in their society, in their culture, if you will, um, there was a fate worse than death. And the fate worse than death for a man was to die without having a son to carry on his name, to die without having a son to carry on his legacy. And of course, we know that Jesus uh, never married. We know that Jesus never had physical, biological children. And so let's, let's make sure we get this now, okay? So he's asking the question, who will declare his generation? In other words, who, who's going to continue what he started? Who's, who's going to carry on uh, after him to represent him here on the earth, all right? Anybody know the answer to that question? <laughs> you getting ahead of me? Okay, that's you and me, right? That's you and me. So... Um, Let's go to 53.10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Why did it please him? It pleased him because he knew what would ultimately come. This is, this is why uh, the Bible says Jesus despised the shame, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And you've heard me say it, and I can't say it too many times. Hardest thing God the Father ever did was turn his back on Jesus when Jesus became your sin and my sin. But he told me that he was able to do that by focusing on what would happen, what would be in place once he did turn his back on Jesus. And remember what I told you, he'd never have to turn his back on one of his children ever again because of our sin, because Jesus is going to solve that sin problem for us once and for all. So in that regard, it did please the Father. Amen. When you make his soul an offering for sin, but notice now, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Amen. Well, how is it that he's going to see his labor? Remember, um, uh, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Verse 11, uh, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities, divide with him a portion, a portion with the great. Amen. Speaking of Jesus, of course, a name above every name. We could, a lot of tie-ins here. Um, so he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Okay. Now, 
One last verse that ties this together. Remember, we've talked about two key things here. We've talked about a nation of priests. All right, 633. Can you all hang in here a few more minutes? He's talked about a nation of priests. And then we've talked about this generation, right? This, this, this generation that will prolong Jesus' days. This generation that will come after him. Seed that will come after him, right? That will continue what it is that he started. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. Any of this sound like something out of Exodus? Anybody remember those verses? His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So you are generation Christ. You are the generation that has been appointed and anointed to continue what Jesus started. You are the one who is to pick up where He left off and continue the assignment. Remember the verses we looked at last week. Father, as you have sent me, I'm now sending them. Jesus was sent into the world to destroy the works of the devil and to glorify his Father. He was sent in the world, that ministry platform, right? Open the blinded eyes. Preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, set the prisoner free. All of these things that Jesus started that seemingly uh, was cut short because he was snuffed out by the Romans and you know fate fate worse than death he died before come on in sister he died before having had opportunity for another generation to continue after him but see here here's the thing you got to understand our heavenly father doesn't have grandchildren he only has sons and daughters are you following me he doesn't have grandchildren and what we will see when we get to the section on the new birth is that when Father God made this covenant and all these covenant promises to the seed of Abraham, He kept, again, the big picture a secret by carefully choosing a word that could either mean plural seeds as of many or plural seed as of one. And what people thought for years was seed as in the seed, plural, many, we see ultimately turned out to be the seed of Abraham, capital S-E-E-D, speaking of Jesus, because now Jesus becomes the seed that you and I are all born after. He was the prototype for a new humanity. Amen. And when we were born of His seed, amen, we became partakers of His nature. Praise the name of the living God. So we now are this chosen generation, this royal priesthood. Notice we're talking now about king priests, royalty and priests, a royal priesthood. Let's go all the way back. What did God desire when he so spoke to Moses to go tell the nation of Israel, I want you to be a holy nation. I want you to be a nation of priests representing and serving as intermediaries uh, for, between me and the rest of the world. 
And they said, no, thank you. But God did not give up on that. Let's go back to one of the first things I said. What you're going to find out about God is that if He ever purposes in His heart to do something, it doesn't matter how long it takes or how much it costs Him, He's going to see that come to fulfillment. He's going to see that come to fruition. So you sitting in this room tonight as a nation of priests, he see, you may not have seen yourself this way yet, but it's very important that you see yourself the way He sees you. And He calls you a royal priesthood. He calls you a holy nation. He says that you are a special treasure to Him above all other people on planet earth because you have been chosen, you have been called, you have answered that call, you have been transformed, you have been made new, you have become a partaker of His divine nature, you have received His kingdom, and you have received the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, now living inside of you, springing up from within you, and overflowing you into the world around you. You are an ambassador for His kingdom. You are His representative in the earth. You are the bride of Christ. You are the body of Christ. And Jesus gladly recognizes you as, as being both of those to Him. Amen. We are generation Christ. Who will declare to this generation? Who will let this world know today? Amen. What has been done for them? What has been given to them? What has been provided for them? My friend, that is your responsibility. That is my responsibility. And that is what we mean by ministry. Get excited about it. I get excited about it. All right, now watch this. Revelation chapter 1, 4, 5, and 6. Praise God. It says this, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, firstborn from the dead. That's a key word right there. He was the firstborn from the dead, but he's not the lastborn. If you've been born again, you were also born from the dead. The firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I'm talking about you. <laughs> Let's go back to it now. Philemon 6. Acknowledge every good thing that's in you. Amen. You see why the devil's tried so hard your whole life? Yeah. To get you to see yourself as a loser, as a failure, as an addict, as a, as, as a criminal, as a, as a, um, a, a, a convict, as a, you know... A, just on and on and on. Whatever label, whatever tag, he don't care. Just as long as it's one less than what God says about you, about who you truly are in Christ Jesus. He made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Notice what Jesus was doing in all this. He was getting for his father what his father always wanted, a nation of priests. A chosen generation. A chosen generation. We are generation Christ. See, there's no... I know I've said this already. There's no... I said God the Father doesn't have grandchildren. There, there's, there's one eternal generation. Christ Jesus. Amen. Are you following what I'm saying? We're, we're the same generation... Uh, I know, it's, you know, Apostle Paul, how many years has it been since he's, you know, went to heaven? Amen. But we're still that first generation. We're the church, the body of Christ. Amen. 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 All right.
so we're probably at a good start, a good stopping, good start, a good starting point for next week, a good place to put the brakes on here. But let me say this. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Your vocation may be in some other area, but it's not either ministry or whatever vocation you may have. It's not either or. It's both and. It's both and. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We live in a broken world. Amen. We live amongst broken people. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad to not be broken anymore? Amen. You see why the devil, the devil so much wants you to think of yourself as a broken person. No, you've been made whole by the blood of Jesus. See, broken people don't know how to help broken people. But whole people can help broken people become whole again. And there are broken people all around you. Amen. Amen. And Jesus told stories to nudge people towards readiness of heart. He knew people weren't ready yet, but he wanted to create the readiness. So he told them stories. What are we to take away from that? Tell people your story. Tell them your story. Tell, them what he, tell people what Jesus has done for you. Tell them how he's given you peace. Tell them how you have joy in life now that operates from within you, out of you, and operates independently of what's going on around you. See, these are the things that people on planet Earth are looking for. Broken people are looking for peace. They're looking for joy. They're looking for contentment in life. Go tell them you found it. Go tell them you found it. Tell them you're, you say, well, Pastor Mark, you know, I'm waiting until I, you know, have memorized at least 700 Bible verses before. I said, no, no, don't, I mean, study the scriptures, know the word of God. But the Bible says that, that he'll give you what to say. You, you get out there, you put yourself out there and start a minute. You'll be telling people things you didn't know you knew. You'll hear wisdom coming out of you that you didn't know you had. Amen, because you're not going out there alone. He said, you go and I'll go with you. You go and I'll go with you. So you start stepping out and you, and you start, man. See, the devil's trying to say, oh, that's, that's not for you. you. You're not qualified. You're not this. You're not that. No, see, you're a royal priest. You're a king priest unto our God. You're a special treasure to him. You're a holy nation. I understand the only hope for this world is Jesus. But if you understand the connection between Jesus and his body, the only hope for this world is the local church. The body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for what you're showing us, teaching us, stirring in us. Father, Lord, it's so much more than perhaps a lot of us have ever been told or ever heard. But I thank you, Father, that you're telling us now and you're making it plain and your Holy Spirit is planting it deep inside of us. And Father, I call forth a harvest. I call forth fruit. Lord God, I thank you for fruit that will be produced in, 
and through the lives of the men and women listening to me and watching me right now. And Father, it'll be fruit that's lasting. It'll be fruit that's abundant. It'll be fruit, Lord, that, that, that remains. And it'll be fruit that glorifies our Father. Lord, He'll, he'll find great pleasure. He'll find great pleasure. Great pleasure. Great, great pleasure in these, your special treasure, as we go forth and do what you've equipped us to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us this evening. You have a great, great rest of your night. Father sees your sacrifice. He knows some of you ain't, hadn't had anything to eat since 11 o'clock. But you're here and you're, you're going after it. And good things coming. Amen.